0: Hey everybody, welcome, thanks for joining us. Uh, today we ca- we carry on with our series called King Jesus. We're looking at the uh, book of Colossians and today we uh, come to the end of chapter two. So if you've got a Bible, hope you do, go ahead and grab it and uh, I will read uh, for us beginning of verse 16 of chapter two and then we'll go through the end of the chapter of uh, verse 23. So uh, follow along here with me as I read. Paul writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Word of the Lord. You pray with me. Father, we just pray that as we look into your Word this morning, your Spirit would guide us uh, both in our understanding as well as in the application of what you have for us here. And Lord, our hope is. Our prayer is that our hearts would be drawn closer to Jesus and greater fellowship with you uh, and even with one another as we consider your words. It's in the name of Jesus we ask, amen. Have you ever uh, heard of the tightrope walker, Nick Walinda? Uh, Well, you probably remember back a few months ago before all this quarantine and everything, Nick Walinda, uh, tightrope walk. Walked over a volcano in Nicaragua. Uh, Nick was 2,000 feet uh, above the volcano, and uh, he's done this before. His whole family is tightrope walkers, but uh, he said this was uh, his highest and his windiest feet over this live volcano in Nicaragua. Imagine uh, if you were Nick Walinda and I were to ask you, hey, Would you rather fall off the tightrope to the right or to the left? What would your answer be? Well, obviously, you don't want to fall off either side because to fall off either side in this situation uh, takes you to your death. You can fall off either side of the tightrope, but you still die. You know, we're not uh, walking a tightrope, but... As we uh, consider God's Word and as we look in God's Word, there are really two directions in which we can fall as we approach God's Word. One of those ways uh, is by subtracting from God's Word. And another, the other side of that would be adding to God's Word. Uh, and this goes back, I have mentioned this in weeks previous, all the way to the beginning of the story of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the first temptation that man and woman have is those words from the serpent in verse 1. Did God really say, I mean, God didn't really say that, and it's an attempt to take away the truthfulness of God's word. But then just a few verses later, two verses later, in verse 3, Eve says, um, not only are we not supposed to eat from the tree, we're also not even supposed to touch it. Now, that wasn't what god had communicated to adam so satan was trying to take away from god's word eve was adding to god's word you know if uh if you have liberal tendencies uh your tendency is often to take away from the word of god if you have conservative tendencies you tend to want to add to god's word to make sure things are safe. And even in the scriptures, we have examples of these tendencies. If you think in Jesus' day of the Sadducees, what do we know about the Sadducees? The Sadducees, you could say, were the liberals of their day. They uh, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in angels or the spiritual realm. They had subtracted from God's word. On the opposite spectrum of that, we have what religious group in Jesus' days? The Pharisees. We talk about them a lot. And what are the Pharisees often known for? They're, they're known for these traditions and these extra rules that were added to God's Word, uh, the traditions of men. Uh, we even have not only biblical examples, but modern examples. If you think about the age of the Enlightenment, and, Enlightenment in the 1700s, you have... Uh, a scholarship that was trying to say that the Bible is outdated and it's not authoritative and it probably wasn't even written by the people that it uh, claims to be written by. And you may have heard the story of our own Thomas Jefferson who famously took scissors to the Bible to to cut out the miraculous parts of the Scripture. Well, that's just taking away from God's Word. That's the tendency Of liberalism, but also in modern uh, times, we have examples of conservatives adding to God's word. And I think uh, immediately here and back in the early twentieth century to the the modernist fundamentalist controversy, where where fundamentalist uh, religious conservatives added to God's word. Hey, you know, we we don't dance, we don't drink, we don't go to movies. we girls don't wear pants. They wear only dresses. We wear our hair in, in certain ways. Those are man-made rules by conservatives attempting to uh, be faithful to God's Word, but in reality, adding to God's Word. And finally, let me take us to the last words, some of the last words of the entire Bible in Revelation chapter 22. Listen to this final word of John as he writes here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away From the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So, from the beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, to the end of Scripture, Revelation chapter 22, you have these warnings. Don't take away from God's word, and don't add to God's word. And what we have here today in this passage in Colossians chapter 2 is, is teachers, false teachers, and and influencers that are that have come around Colossae, the, this church, and are attempting to add to God's word, and that's often the tendency to add to God's word. So in these verses, uh, verses 16 through 23, Paul speaks against legalism, against mysticism, and against asceticism. And there's really two negative injunctions here, as well as kind of a rhetorical question. So the the two negative injunctions, you see them in uh, verse 16 and verse 18. In verse 16, it says, let no one judge you. And then in verse 18, it says, let no one disqualify you. And then... Uh, In verse 20, he asked this question, this rhetorical question, why do you submit yourself to these rules of men? So to put it also in a negative injunction, you you might say, let no one judge you, let no one disqualify you, and then in verse 20, let no one enslave you. Why do you go back to this bondage of rules and regulations and the traditions of men, don't let no one judge you, let no one disqualify you, and let no one enslave you to man-made rules and uh, Today, what I want to talk to us about from this passage here is the dangers of religion, and I see four uh, dangers of religion. Something other than the gospel of Jesus, man made efforts to please God, man made efforts uh, to try to be righteous himself uh, that are dangers of religion and antithetical actually to the grace, to the good news of Jesus. So, four dangers of religion. The first one uh, in verses 16 and 17, we see that religion prioritizes outward forms over substances. Religion prioritizes outward forms over substance. Verses 16 and 17, again, he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festivals, or new uh, new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so what, what is he saying here? He's saying that these false teachers are judging you, but they're judging you uh, about things like diet and holy days, and those things are just shadows, if you will, but they're not the real thing. A shadow is just something uh, following behind you, right? It's not the reality. And Paul is arguing here that the reality, the substance, is Jesus. These other things are shadows, and they're about forms and formalities like diet and days. And we know from Jesus' teaching, in fact, if you want to look there later, Mark chapter 7, Jesus declared all foods clean. Uh, disciples, uh, uh, the disciples, the Pharisees, teachers of the law came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples not wash their hands uh, like we do? And, and Jesus says, you're, you're just worried about the tradition of men. And then he goes on to say where the Bible says, you know, honor your father and mother, you say, oh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give that gift that I would give to my, my mother and father, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that as a gift to God, as Korban. And he's saying, you're, you're neglecting even the, the word of God by twisting it uh, for man-made traditions. But he, Jesus says in that passage, Mark chapter seven, he says, it's not the things that come into us that make us unclean. It's actually what's in our heart that makes us unclean. So these foods, uh, whether they're meat or whether they're not kosher, Jesus says that that is not the point. Those things uh, make us neither unclean nor clean. It's what comes from our heart that makes us unclean. And so also you see, if you want to look at this later in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter has this this vision, and in it, uh, this sheet comes down from the sky, and there's all sorts of meats and animals on it, and and God says, "Take and eat." And again, he's saying these 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 laws that were a, a prequel of Jesus coming and the holiness of God uh, are not pertinent anymore. You can eat uh, as you wish, Peter. You can you can eat this meat. Shadow versus substance. Rules and regulations versus the fullness of Jesus. The temptation uh, for us, the temptation always for humans is to gravitate to form over content, to gravitate to presentation over logic or coherence or truth, or to gravitate to style over substance all those dietary laws, all those holy days were to point to Jesus, but never to get us righteousness on our own, but to point to the truth and the substance of Jesus. Secondly, uh, religion also inevitably leads to guilt and or pride. Religion inevitably leads to guilt or pride. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Um, I want you to notice there in verse 18 that he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and these other things. Uh, You might wanna underline insisting. You know, and there's nothing wrong with fasting, there's nothing wrong with uh, having a diet that you think is healthy uh, or even prescribed in the Old Testament, but when you insist upon it not only for yourself but for other people you have you have now gone from a personal conviction to making a man made rule for others to keep and uh not only the word insisting there is to be noted but also the the word puffed up. He says these efforts, this asceticism and these visions that they've had have have caused these teachers in Colossae to be puffed up, to be proud. And that's what happens when you elevate rules and you elevate uh, certain behaviors as the essence of spirituality. Well, then if you live up to those rules, what happens? You get proud. Hey, I'm I'm doing these things that I'm supposed to. Therefore, there's this self-righteousness rises, rises up. But what if you don't keep the rules? What if you don't keep the traditions or the behaviors that are deemed uh, appropriate? Well, you have this feeling of guilt. And so man-made religion and legalism of focusing on rules either leads to pride or to guilt. The gospel leads neither to guilt nor pride, because the gospel says both you are broken, sinful, guilty before God. It it humbles you, but it doesn't leave you guilty, because it says, but you're also deeply loved by Jesus. He died on the cross for you. So the gospel humbles us, but also lifts us because it says you're deeply loved by God. And if you have, have, have sin that humbles you, but you have a, a God that loves you as Christ has loved you by going to the cross, you don't stay in guilt, but neither can you be proud Because it wasn't your religious effort that got you right before God. It was only the blood of Jesus. So how could a Christian ever be proud of his righteousness? How could a Christian ever uh, brag in what he has done in himself or in his behavior or in his keeping of rules? He can't. Because grace says it's all of God. It's all of the grace of Jesus and not my merit, not my keeping of the rules, so the gospel humbles us, but it gives us a confidence that we are loved dearly by God. Look, I want you to see the comparison here uh the injunction he says uh, in verse eighteen, "Let no one disqualify you." Well, that might uh perhaps you remember from weeks ago back. In uh, chapter 1, verse 12, there was a wonderful promise back in chapter 1, and it says in verse 12, it says, We give thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance. You see that same language there? Paul says in chapter 2, Don't let anyone disqualify you. But back in chapter 1, he says, It's the Father who has qualified us. We didn't run this race and, and qualify for the state tournament on our own merit. Chapter One says, "The Father has qualified us, not ourselves, and now Paul writes in chapter two don't let these other people disqualify you because you're you're not fasting the way they say that that they are, or you're you're not having these mystical visions or seeing the the worship of angels as they are. Let no one disqualify you. you are not qualified by these man made things you're qualified by God, the Father." Himself, thirdly religion religion demotes the preeminence, the authority, and the work of Christ, and elevates human teachings and rules again verses nineteen uh, through twenty two look at the look at the logic here uh, he he warns them about these false teachers, verse nineteen he says they are not holding fast to the head they're not holding on to Jesus. They're adding other things. They're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And then see the logic here, verse 20. If if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, these man-made teachings, or as we've seen in chapter 1, these, kinda, these are demonically originated teachings. These, if you've died with Christ and, and you no longer are captive to these human uh, and elemental teachings, why as if you were still alive to the world do you submit to these regulations? He's saying your life is with Christ. Christ is your life, your righteousness. So why are you reverting or tempted to revert to these man-made worldly rules? And then he uh, delineates some of them there in verse 20, or verse 21, excuse me. He says, do not handle. These are the, these are the regulations that, that they are being asked to submit to. Do not handle this food. Or do not taste. Do not touch. Why why are you listening to these man-made rules if you have been, if you have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ? I actually uh, heard a story once about a very conservative Christian college that had actually used verse 21 here as it listed some of its rules for its college students about dancing, about the use of alcohol, and they, they, had a proof text there that said said Colossians 2:21 do not handle do not touch do not taste <laughs> but but the context of this verse is exactly the opposite don't don't be burdened by man-made rules about non-essential things so that's what he's saying here in verses 19 through 22 they've left the head and they've instead gone to human precepts, verse 22. They've let go of the head and they've grabbed on instead to, verse 22, human precepts. I found these words uh, from Martin Luther this week as he commented on this passage, and let me read his words to you here. Martin Luther says, They do not hold fast to the head who is Christ, for Christ... And the doctrines of men cannot possibly agree. One must cancel the other. If the conscience finds comfort in Christ, then the comfort derived from works must fall. If it finds comfort in works, then Christ must fall. The heart cannot build upon a dual foundation. And we've said in Colossians that christ is the foundation and here we see that christ is the head and that that is the idea of the authority he is the authority of his body the church not human precepts but christ the head so when we grab on to human traditions when we try to follow man-made rules We're actually demoting the finished work and authority of Christ, and we're elevating ourselves and our own standards and our own ideas of what righteousness should look like. Fourthly, we see this. We see finally, fourthly, that religion appears devout and admirable, but is ultimately powerless. But it looks like these teachers are devout, they're fasting, they're very disciplined, they have these mystical visions, it seems like something to be admired. But it's ultimately powerless. Listen to the words of verse 23 again. These have indeed the appearance, you might want to underline appearance, these indeed have the appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion underline self-made and asceticism and severity to the body but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh you know you can you can try to keep yourself from from every evil and every temptation but what paul is saying here is you still have a flesh and that flesh uh, is not killed. That flesh is, is, does not die because of man-made rules. Um, one pastor has compared it like this. Imagine for a second that you have a, a, a beaker here from a science experiment. And in this, this beaker, the, the object uh, is to get all the air out of the beaker. And how, how would you do that? How would you get all air out? Out of the beaker. Well, you could try to suck it out. And vacuum it out. Uh, and, and have it be a vacuum there. Of, of nothingness. But the better way to do it. Is not by trying to get the air out. But the better way to do it. Is by replacing the air. With water. So you pour the water in. And the air is displaced. By the water. And that's what the gospel gives us is it gives us a new affection it gives us a new power the gospel is the power of god for salvation so we don't become holy by 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 taking the sin out we become holy by having christ in us and now there's a, a new love and a new affection that that we that That we long for and rather than longing after sin and the the pleasures and the indulgence of sin, we now have a greater love than the things of this world uh, the the law the old testament law has has been described uh to me like this it's it's like railroad tracks. What do the railroad tracks do? Well, the railroad tracks guide the train, right? They, they, they make the path. They set the direction. But if the law is the tracks, do the tracks have any power in themselves? No, they're just laying there, guiding the direction. Well, it's the same thing with the law. The law guides into holiness. It shows us the character of God, but it has no power in itself. The, the power for the train has, has to come from something else than the tracks. But the law, the railroad itself, has no power. It's just pointing a direction. And that's the way Paul describes the law in the book of Romans and Galatians. These, these rules that God gave us, God-given rules, that it says are the tutor, are the guide, until Christ would come. And when Christ comes... He gives us this new affection. He gives us this new heart. And he gives us by his spirit this new power that will propel us in holiness because of love of Jesus forward. That's the dangers of religion. And he says the answer, he says this negatively in verse 19, is instead of holding on to man-made traditions, to hold fast to Christ. To seek him to abide in Christ. To hold on to Christ and to hold on uh, to be joined with the body is how growth comes. That growth is from God. Um, I want to just kind of summarize uh, these this part of Colossians with a couple of equations here. If you look back uh, in chapter 1, it was all about the supremacy of Christ. So you could say it like this. You could say Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus is supreme. You don't need anything else. You don't need to take anything away from him, but you don't need to add anything to him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But what we see here in chapter two is another equation that says being strict does not equal being spiritual. Being strict does not mean being spiritual. That's the main idea of chapter two. But there's more to come in chapter three because he's gonna basically say in chapter three, grace does not equal apathy. Because we have the gospel, because because God has given us grace, does not mean we, we sit on our duff, does not mean we have no active dependence upon Christ or no obedience for us. Grace also does not equal apathy apathy. And we'll see that in the weeks ahead in chapter three. The tendency of man is to reject God's word or to think, well, we really need to make this more clear. We need to add to God's word. We need to add some stipulations and some extra boundaries around what God has said. That's always our temptation. But the righteousness that we have as believers in Jesus is a foreign righteousness. It's a, ra- uh, it's a righteousness that Christ imputes to us. He, he declares us righteous and then grows us in righteousness, but it's not a righteousness of our own. It is a foreign righteousness that we trust in the work of Christ, his work on the cross, his death and his resurrection, and we are given righteousness as a gift, and then we walk in thanksgiving in gratitude of that righteousness. Lewis Sperry Chaffer um, founded the seminary that I went to. Lewis Sperry Chafer is the founder of Dallas Seminary. And um, he was a wonderful Bible teacher, but he was also an evangelist at heart. And he believed in this message of grace. And Lewis Sperry Chaffer would, would always tell his students, this is how you can tell. This is the test for if you are believing the gospel or if you have heard a gospel message that is accurate. That is a gospel message of grace. You ask yourself this. Did that person give me something to do? Or did they give me something to believe? Did they give me something to do? Or did they give me something to believe? Human, self-made, man-made religion says, do this, do this, don't do that. The gospel says Believe this. Jesus has died and completely paid for your sins. Now trust in him, the head, the authority, your righteousness. So, how do you know if you're following in Christ's way? How do you know if you're you're following Christ as a Christian? You ask yourself, Am I believing in Jesus? Or am I trying to attain righteousness on my own? And here's another test. If you often deal with guilt or pride, then you're probably often in a mode of religion where you are judging yourself, you're evaluating yourself on works, righteousness, and traditions and regulations rather than holding fast to Jesus. Why? Because rules and regulations either make us proud and confident or they make us feel guilty and failures. But the grace of Jesus humbles us while giving a confidence, giving us a confidence that we are deeply loved by Jesus. Pray with me. Father God, I uh, just confess my own tendency to try to make more clear or more solid your word, to add things to it. But God, I I thank you that it's not by my works, it's not by my doing that I can stand confidently righteous before you, but it's by the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. And that continues in my growth, God, that I would cling, that I would hold fast to Jesus and not revert back to relying on my good works or trying to attain my standing before you. God, help us to be a people of grace. Help us to be a people that hold fast to Jesus and not... Our own sense of righteousness or the rules that we create. Holy Spirit, help us. In the name of Jesus, we.